be seated. Good morning, everyone, again. All right, we'll be back in Romans chapter 3 once again. Um, up until this point in our study in Romans, Paul has pretty much left all of us wanting our righteousness Paul has left the human race hopeless and helpless before the righteousness of God man needs a righteousness that is alien to himself because righteousness fall our righteousness falls miserably short of God's righteousness and that righteousness is what we need for the salvation of our soul and today we will see that God does indeed surprise in missions to save people for himself. He provides the payment for sin, the propitiation for his wrath, and the declaration of his righteousness for the justification of sinners. I'm going to be talking about justification today. So let's go ahead and we will read the scripture, Romans chapter 3, and I'll begin reading in verse 21. But, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith 
and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. We establish the law. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've revealed yourself in your word to us. Father, we thank you that you've given us, made us in your image so that we can communicate with you and you with us. You're not far from us. You're very near. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we just ask that you'd be with us now as we Take a few moments and look at your word and help us to understand, help us to apply it to our heart. And Father, we ask that you do that work that only you can do. And that's save many people at the hearing of your word. And Father, we just thank you and we praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. We've talked a lot about the law. The law, what are the deeds of the law? When you think about the law, sometimes we think about the law as being, um, am I driving too fast on the highway or parking near a fire hydrant or, you know, borrowing something from our neighbor and never returning it? You know, there's a lot of aspects of the law that we think about but the law is keeping it, and in our attempt to keep it, we're trying to do good. Wouldn't you say it was, it was good not to steal from your neighbor? Wouldn't you say it's good not to tell a lie to your neighbor? Or to worship something other than God? Well, those are all the outward things of the law that we show each other but the law is much more than that it's much deeper than that Hebrews says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword dividing asunder the bones and marrow and as a discerner the thoughts and intents of the heart you see that's what the law does it keeps penetrating us it cuts us right down to the heart. It discerns our heart. It discerns our thoughts and our intents. So when we are really examine ourselves through the law, we just see we are just wanting. We're guilty of the law. And we talked about briefly before about justification. He talks about it in verse 24. Um, being freely justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that's what I want to look at today is some, some important words about justification and what it is. To be justified by his grace. That's how we're justified is through God's grace. What is justification? When you think about just, uh, justification, the opposite of that is condemnation. And both of those are forensic 
forensic terms. In other words, you go to court when you're in a, a law court of law. You know, the judge justifies someone or he condemns them. And a, a person that's condemned, they're, they're punished. They're either, they pay a fine and or they'll spend time in jail, in prison, to pay for whatever it is they're condemned for. And that's the forensic thing about the law. It just keeps cutting until it reveals our sin. It just cuts and cuts and cuts until it gets down to our bones and just lays open our sin. The accused is declared one or the other. He's either declared justified or condemned. To be justified is more than just forgiveness, and it's different from being pardoned. One commentator says this about forgiveness. He says, you go, forgiveness is saying to you, you go, you have been let off from the penalty which your sins deserve. That's forgiveness. But justification says this, you may come, you're welcome to all my love and my presence. So when God justifies someone, he says you can come. Again in Hebrews it says we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. Justification is by the grace of God. We learned in the first chapter, the very first couple verses in Romans chapter 1, we learned that it says there that it's the gospel of God. And what we learned from that is God is the initiator of the gospel. God is the initiator of redemption. It's God that took the first steps in our salvation. And certainly Jesus was willing. He willingly came to earth and became a man. And he willingly gave, that, gave his life and he willingly took up his life again. But he did it in submission to the Father. You know, you met, how many times did you remember Jesus saying in the Gospels that he came to do the will of his Father? So God is the initiator of redemption. It was certainly not our initiative. Because what does the Bible say? It says we, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. What can a dead man do? Stink, for one thing. But he can't do anything else. We have no ability to bring our righteousness as, as filthy rags It was the gracious, generous, loving coming of God, stooping to man's level to give of himself through Jesus Christ. That's a gracious act of, act of God, to send his son to this earth 
to dwell among men. How is one justified? On what grounds does God justify a person? Why, how can God justify a sinner? One that's diametrically opposed to him. How can he just such a person justify such a person? How can God justify the guilty? For we're all guilty. Especially when you read in the Old Testament where God tells Israel that they're to condemn the guilty and to justify the innocent. How can God do such a thing as to justify a sinner? Will God surprise in missions in justifying a sinner? Yes, he does. He really does. He justifies the wicked. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. The only way that God might see, the only way could do what, the only way God could do what might seem an unrighteous act is through the death of Jesus on the cross. Just to let you know how important this justification is, Christianity, salvation hinges on it. God must justify someone if anyone is going to be saved. Any person that comes to God must be justified. They must be treated as right, declared right. And he does that in three ways. Paul talks about that in verse 24. Let me just read you that to you again. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The first way Paul talks about our justification is through redemption. Redemption is a commercial term that we often use in the marketplace. How many of you ever redeemed a coupon that you cut out of the newspaper? Redemption. In the Old Testament, and Doug read this passage for us about a redeemer, and Pastor Eric preached through the book of Ruth for us, which is all about the kinsman redeemer. And we talked about it a little bit in chapter 1 about the slave the bond slave that was redeemed. The slave is one who is utterly unable to pay his debt. His debt is so deep he had to sell his inheritance. And to Israel, their inheritance was a big part of their life. That's what coming out of Egypt was about, was to give the people of Israel an inheritance a land to inherit. And when a, and an Israelite had to sell himself into slavery, it's because he had exhausted all of his resources 
including his inheritance. But that's where a kinsman redeemer comes into play. Is that someone that's near kin to this person that's in debt can go and redeem that person. He can pay his debt for him. I'm reminded of that slave who has served faithfully for his debt for seven years and it's time for his release. And that slave is faced with, do I take what I get and go or do I stay? And we talked about this in chapter one that that, that slave would Say, you know, I love my master, and I don't want to leave him. And that master would go and bore a hole through his ear with an awl. He'd stick his ear up on the, the post of his house and just drive his awl right through his ear. He says, I will not leave my master. I love my master. That's a kinsman redeemer. That's a redeemer that's shown much grace to someone he's redeemed from his selling his inheritance. He buys back his inheritance for him. And when he sends him out, he's supposed to send him out not empty, but graciously full. He's supposed to pile on him riches so that he goes out and is able to make a new start in life. Those who believe are redeemed from their debt of sin through re the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. There's no other way. Christ on the cross paid the debt for our sin. He redeemed our debt. Which brings us to the next word, verse 25. It says in verse 25, whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Propitiation. It's not a word that you hear a lot of these days. But it's a very important word in our justification. Because a debt against God is an eternal debt. It's an infinite debt. And only an infinite person such as Christ, can pay that debt. And that's what Christ did on the cross. He was our propitiation. Propitiation means to placate someone's anger. <clears throat> when we began this section in one, chapter 1, verse 18, it talked about God's wrath being revealed. And it listed three things that his wrath was revealed against. And it was against ungodliness and unrighteousness and in ingratitude. God's wrath is revealed against all those things. But now and we saw that God's wrath was righteous. And Paul went on to name all those different groups we talked about. 
the pagan, the, the, the uh, self-righteous man, the moral man, the self-righteous Jew, or the Christian who thinks he's better than everyone else. You know, we learn that there's no difference between all of those groups. They're all the same. They're all wanting. They're all sinful before God. And that sin is what Christ bore on the cross. That's what a propitiation is. Christ bore the wrath of God. He bore the anger of God in his body for those who would believe. Christ is the wrath absorber for those who believe. Another way to think about propitiation is like the shock absorber on your car. Yeah, I don't know if you remember uh, Martin County grade used to be a dirt road. And if you tried to go very fast down that road, it would just rattle your car to pieces, literally. And your shocks would just take a beating going down that road. And that's what Christ was. He took that wrath. He took that beating. He took that crushing for sin. Then the third thing that Paul talks about is that he, he declares his righteousness. Verse 25, it says, um, whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of the sins that are past. At the cross, God declared his righteousness through redemption of sinners and propitiation of his wrath and now his forbearance for sins that are past. If you remember in the Old Testament, Israel was to bring these sacrifices to cover their sins. And he did that for many, many gen generations, countless generations. They came, they brought a sacrifice to cover their sins. Then there was the Day of Atonement where the, where the priest would take a goat and he'd kill one of them, placing the the sin of the people symbolically on the one goat to kill it, then symbolically on the other goat to take it away from the camp. They call it the scapegoat. And all that sin, it was probably often wondered, why is God waiting and not punishing this sin? And that's what Paul is talking about here. All of those sins that are past are brought to bear on Christ from Adam to the cross. All those sins were brought to bear on Christ. Then he goes on to say in the first part of um, the next verse, verse there, 26, he to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness. Not only are the sins that are past Christ paid for, but the sins of the present. 
take for those as well. The sins that he did not punish immediately, he waited until the cross. Through the forbearance of God's righteousness is, is declared. God forbearing to judge sin for those many generations, his righteousness was declared at the cross for waiting to punish sin. It was made known. God's righteousness was made known. God's righteousness was shown on the cross when Jesus took the punishment for sin. He left sin unpunished for many generations. He passed over sin. There's a song that we sing that talks about being passed over. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's when Egypt or Israel came out of Egypt. They were to kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of their door. And when the angel came through Egypt, he saw that blood and he passed over. When he sees, saw the blood of all those lambs killed through the ages, all those animals killed, he passed over sin until now at the cross. And then they were all paid for on Christ. Christ paid the penalty for sin. <clears throat> Romans 3, 26, it says, To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. This is how God declared his righteousness and was just in doing so and is one who justifies. You know, back in verse 21, it says that, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. It's like they're standing in the courtroom, and God is showing his righteousness for forgiving sin. And you got the law standing there as a person, as, as it were. And you got all the prophets that pronounce judgment against Israel for their sin. And they're approving of it. They're approving of God's righteousness. That yes, he's not violating his righteousness. He's not sweeping sin under the rug and trying to forget it. That debt of sin is being paid in Christ. Christ is the one that redeems. It's Christ who took is the propitiation for our sin. And it is the work of Christ that is God's righteousness declared. These, this is how God declared righteousness when Christ was on the cross. Was just in doing so. He was just in doing so. And he is the one that justifies. He redeemed his people. He propitiated his own wrath. He demonstrated his justice. Then he goes on to say in verse 28, he says, in this passage that we read, uh, faith in Christ is mentioned three times. 
verses 22, 25, and 26. We are freely justified by faith. That's how one is justified, is by faith, by faith in Christ. Many times we've said here at Everglades is that repent and believe. Repent of your works of trying to reach God because you can never reach him. Repent of your goodness of trying to bring that to Christ or to God and say, look what I have. Repenting of that. It's turning away from it. It's repenting of our sin. Then in verse 28, he says, therefore, we conclude. This is the conclusion. Therefore, we conclude man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Man is justified by believing God without bringing any of his good works to God. Man is justified freely. It's one of the five solas in faith alone. Justification by faith alone is rightly said to be the hinge, to be the hinge pin of salvation. Because without justification, there is no salvation. The sinner must be judged righteous for salvation. Or there is no salvation. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you've never repented and believed the gospel, I beg you to do it today. I plead with you. Don't leave this place without doing business with God. Receive his justification by faith. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the justifying work that you did. You're the initiator of it. On the cross, Christ bore the punishment for our sin. And Father, we thank you that you were just in doing so. Father, we thank you and we praise you for that. Father, we ask that you just work in our heart, work in our mind. Help us to repent. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's stand and we'll sing our last song. Thank you, Pastor Jim. Um, we're going to end the service with He Will Hold Me Fast.